could do this all day and if you're listening and thinking what kind of ripoff of Shania Twain this is what you gonna do sue her sue her well good luck with that because she is the victim of today's story yeah each country has that one infamous true crime case and today we're gonna be talking about the crime that marked my little home country of Serbia forever This is by all means necessary. Maya is the name, crazy is the game. Before we dive into the crime of the day, let's go into the expression of the day. And this week, I'm going to be talking to you about being caught red-handed. What does it mean? What could it mean? Well, it could only mean one thing. You're, you're being caught with your hands that are red, that are bloodied. You have been caught in the act, my man. You have the right to remain silent. Okay. But did you know that the blood on those hands in the origin of the expression wasn't from humans? Nope. It referred to poaching. It referred to animals, which was also illegal at the time, hence the red-handed expression. So if you were to be caught with animal blood on your hands in the 15th century Scotland, well, they would say that they apprehended red hand or taken with red hand. And the first time that red hand morphed into red handed was in the 19th century, when Sir Walter Scott wrote Ivanhoe. But yet another fact that isn't so much to do with origin when it comes to red handed, but it's more to the actual imagery of the expression that you might have when you picture, when you visualize this expression in your head, and or when you visualize the red-handed podcast logo, that is that the red hand has been the cultural symbol of Northern Irish province of Ulster for many, many years. <laughs> to be specific, since the 1970s. But one of the many myths of why the red hand is on the flag of Ulster is that there was this tale, that there was a boat race in which the first to touch the shore of Ulster was to become the province's ruler. And one of the contestants apparently took this a bit too seriously. It's a bit scary when some people are that competitive that they would do this next following action, which is that this man cut off his hand and threw it to the shore ahead of his rivals. This has made him get ahead of these rivals because, well, his hand was ahead of all of them. Yeah, but that kind of visually stuck with the country, as it kind of should because it's creepy as hell. But now onto the story of the day, where one person will indeed get caught red-handed, but will they face the justice? Each country has a murder that shook it to its core. Americans have theirs in Chris Watts, while Mexicans will always grieve the death of Selena. And for a small country like Serbia, 11 years ago, one woman fell victim to the guy that she was seeing. She committed her whole life to stand against the patriarchy, and her death will expose the hard truth about the femicide in the country, by all means necessary. This is the story of Xenia Pajcin. 
On Tuesday, March the 16th, 2010, there was this neighbor who lived across Xenia's apartment and he just heard some screaming. There was back and forth screaming, but this wasn't really unusual. They knew that Xenia lived in with his boyfriend and they were kind of on and off. But then soon after that, their dog Milisav started barking and it wasn't his usual bark. It sounded to the neighbor like it was that sad bark that dogs make once like their owner is usually sad or crying or something along those lines. So the neighbor just kind of does his welfare check, knocks at the door to see if anybody is going to respond. And the only sound he hears from within is this dog just continually barking. But everything else seems to be quiet. So he is spooked and he goes into his flat and kind of makes a mental note to himself to check up on this flat in the next few hours because this just strikes him as odd. Even if their argument was to have subsided, why would the dog be barking? Like, there was something off. Around that same time, around 3 p.m., Xenia's best friend keeps texting her because they haven't heard from her last night. And the last that they have heard from her is that Xenia's boyfriend, Philip, is actually knocking on her door and he's begging her to let him in. And the friend said that he told her, let him in. Like, don't you understand, like, how much he loves like you can talk it out and that was last that he heard of her so the friend keeps texting because it was his son's birthday on that day and the neighbor kind of keeps going back and forth in their flat and they decide okay i'm gonna try knock again if nobody answers i'm going to ring xenia's mom she should have the key to the flat so she should be able to just walk in and check up on her This neighbor does exactly that, and as Xenia's mom, Ljubica, comes to the building now, she uses her spare key to open the door, and as soon as she does, right there in the hallway, she finds the dead body of her daughter Xenia. She immediately realizes Xenia has been shot. She's in the pool of blood, and there seems to be no way to save her. So she tries to call the ambulance and make some sense of this scene. And as she's doing this, she noticed that this is not the only body on the scene of the crime. There is this reconstruction model, if you are watching this on YouTube, that you can check out, where when her mother looks up, she notices that just adjacent to her, a couple of meters away from her, is her boyfriend's Philip's body. And as the paramedics and the police make it to the scene, minutes later they declare both of them dead and they are looking at it and it's very easy to make sense of it straight away. It seemed like there was an argument as the neighbors have heard and then from what they can see it looked like Xenia put a jacket on, she decided to leave to cool off and as she was walking towards the door Probably a few seconds before she was to actually open up the door and get out of her flat, she had been shot. And then Philip's bullet wounds matched those self-inflicted wounds, like when you shoot yourself through the mouth and then the exit wounds are at the back of your head. When the bodies were later sent to the autopsy, they managed to confirm a few more things. As I mentioned, Xenia had a jacket on, so it seemed like she was trying to get herself out of that situation. 
But once they examined her body, they realized that the fatal shot was made at a much closer proximity. They determined that Philip actually ran after her and held a gun to her forehead before shooting her. Looking at Philip's body, they could determine that he killed himself shortly after and he was in a t-shirt and this is March in Serbia. So they kind of placed that timeline of them having the argument, him not planning to follow after her because he didn't put a jacket on. Rather, he probably went to get his gun, chased after her, killed her while she was still in the flat and before she could escape, and then killed himself. Here I just wanted to say there are not many facts around this. Well, rather, there are not many facts that we know surrounding the crime because they're just reported differently back home that they're here. I don't want to say there is no obsession with true crime back home, but people's obsession is different, mostly in the sense that they trust whatever media spins surrounding these crimes. There's not that much factual obsession, like maybe in the US or in the UK, where somebody breaks down the scene and then they look into it evidence piece by evidence piece, they analyze every single thing, they analyze the timestamps. But also here, it was pretty obvious as to what happened. And it didn't unfortunately come as a surprise to anybody. But also when they started investigating this, just to put the pieces together as to what their last couple of days might have looked like, they realized that Philip actually didn't own a gun himself, which led them to believe that someone else might have been involved or at least has given him a gun not knowing what he's about to do. I tried to find information on the gun here, but as I told you, everything is reported differently. So there were speculations that he was trying to get the gun from the black market. There were speculations that he was asking all these different friends. But the police in this case was sure that it was this one person, but they never made his name public. And with the media reporting on this dying down, I couldn't actually find whether this person was even charged for assisting somebody in murder, because why else would have he borrowed a gun of his friend? Everybody in their vicinity knew about their relationship. Speaking of a relationship, let's talk about their background and how they got together and the point of no return. Xenia was born in Belgrade on December the 3rd, 1977. She started off her career pretty early as a dancer in the Serbian band Beat Street. And why this murder was really so close to so many hearts is because Xenia was one of the rare performers, singers, just people in the public eye that didn't get there because somebody sponsored her record deal. They didn't get there because somebody paid for her to have like one performance performance on TV and then make it to stardom. She got there by herself and by her hard work. She would perform as a dancer in other people's music videos. And that is actually how she reached a break in her career. In 1994, she appeared both as a backup singer and as a dancer in this video of this popular star in the 90s, Dragana Mirković. She is still famous, but this is the time when people actually saw Ksenia's talent. And then soon after that, she got a record deal and released her first album. 
Soon as the money started coming in, she also opened up a dance school and she kind of broke away from this group Beat Street and started her solo career. Truly the proof that the society is so dumb and we are just doing things for show is that on all of these talent shows, they're still trying to milk it and put people into groups because they know that's going to bring them the most views and by that the most money. But tell me, what music group that was formed by a talent show in the past couple of years survived and wasn't just disintegrated and fans were like, oh my god, this is the worst thing ever. And then they lost fans because why would you listen to one member of the group when it was a fucking group? One Direction, Little Mix, Fifth Harmony, literally every single group. Like, give me, give me one... I doubt that they were formed on a TV show, but Destiny's Child, Beat Street in Serbia, all the famous, infamous groups. And Ksenia was not perfect. Even after she went to have the solo music career, you could really say her vocals were never super impressive. She would get the attention because of her outfits and because of the way that she would dance. But yet again, why the public loved her and related with her so much is because of how unapologetic she was. She worked as a model, as a dancer, she had a music career now, she owned a dance studio, and she knew that that will make her frequently appear in tabloids. So she ensured to give these tabloids some material on what to write about her. And she did that by appearing on TV shows, making outrageous statements. She would openly discuss her sex life. She would openly discuss the amount of plastic surgeries that she has done. She just didn't... I just wanted to give you a literal Serbian expression, which is that she didn't have a hair on her tongue. Basically, she spoke openly and freely. And you can easily understand what that means if you had ever had, like, even the smallest amount of hair just stuck in your mouth and you're trying to get it out so that you can continue with, like, eating your food and be like, this is the worst thing ever. And then you can speak freely once you have that hair out of your mouth. So that was Xenia. She never had one. Nope. She had plenty of hair. None of those would ever get stuck in her freaking mouth. And we loved her for it. And when mostly male TV show hosts would kind of like attack her, they would try to provoke her and get her to speak more as to why did she decide to do this? Then she said, well, the expectation here is for a woman to always be perfect. And I kind of want it myself. So I'm meeting both the expectations of my own and yours. It's, it's a win-win situation. And while she was this gregarious, over-the-top person in the media, people who knew her personally told a completely different story. Let me tell you about two events from her life that kind of describe who she actually was in a nutshell when the cameras switched off. So during the Kosovo War, Ksenia decided to get out of the country. So between 98 and year 2000, she moved to Greece. She literally stopped doing everything related to her career. And she just said she wanted to experience life in a different way. Like she wanted to experience it as if she was a normal person. No paparazzi following her, nobody bothering her, just her living in a flat with a couple of flatmates. And she managed to successfully live out of the public eye all the way up until the year 2000 when she returned to Belgrade and started looking for other jobs. 
again on the scene doing what she loved. And she got this like co-hosting kind of job where she was playing kind of the entertainer on this TV show, kind of like in a format of late night shows that you would have. Serbia had this mini Maxovizia in the 90s where this one old guy, Letterman-like, again, not to compare the two because there's just really not many comparisons, but just trying to like relate. So he would have guests interview them and then Xenia would kind of jump in, be the co-host, sometimes perform, dance, like be the backup dancer, be everybody else except from like the interviewer. And when the media would start to pester her, like, oh, where did you go for two years? Did you go somewhere for a man? Did you leave to, like, start dating somebody? She said, nope, I went to Greece. I had something that is actually considered, like, you know, worldwide as just like a normal crisis of identity, you could say, yeah, kind of like identity crisis, you know, heard about it. It happens to people who are in the public eye, and now I'm back. And the questioning. And the second event isn't so much an event as it was just a recurring habit. The way that New York has Times Square, the way that London here has Oxford Circus, as something people relate as city center. Every city in the Balkans, and I would suppose in the rest of the Europe as well, has like a main promenade. Like they have like this main road where most of the coffee shops would be, where you would see most of the people you have ever met or seen in your life. So of course, Belgrade has one such street and it's called Knez Mihailova for those of you who actually understand what the hell I'm on about. And whenever Ksenia would pass by this street, she would just go to meet up a friend, she would go to one of the shops. Well, whenever Ksenia would pass by, like her friends noticed that she didn't enjoy like all of the attention. Her friends said she would always be smiling. She would never say no if somebody asked to take a picture with her. But as soon as that happened, she would like snap out of it and be like, okay, can we like move on? Could I just behave as if I'm this incognito person that nobody actually knows? So it just never seemed like she actually enjoyed being this public persona 24-7, which I doubt anybody does. But we just see what is on stage and we just see one side of them. With the return from Greece, she decided to turn a new chapter. She tattooed a picture of a phoenix on her left leg and said that this is actually the symbol of her immortality. And beyond hosting this mini Maxovizia TV show, she was also still engaged with her dance studio. She recorded her second-to-last album dubbed under her own name, and she started performing, but mostly on different manifestations, protests, or just charity concerts. Because now that she could choose, she didn't just want to commit to anything, right? She could have done that 10 years ago. But now that she actually had the option, she wanted to do more of the charitable performances because she knew that that will grab the attention and that people will actually come to see her. And by doing that, might actually donate to charity. By doing that, they might actually show up on a different protest where Xenia is also performing on stage. Unfortunately, like so many people, women especially in public eye, anywhere really, but in Serbia as well, famous singers and performers usually go for other famous people. In Serbia, the stereotype is that they would usually go for people who are in sports. So every singer, songwriter, a female within that industry back home usually goes for a man who is like 
a water polo player, handball player, whatever. You get the gist. Xenia wasn't an exception. Before Philip, she was in a relationship with the son of the famous basketball player. This guy's name was Zvezdan Slavnic. But notice how I said the son of a famous person. What will become a pattern in Xenia's life is that she would date the men who didn't really make the name for themselves the way that she did. She came from nothing. She built her career herself. Nobody paid for it. Whereas most of the men that are in sports either came from like rich families where they would have like somebody who would pay for them to train and then develop in that area. Or again, they would have like a sponsor, they would have somebody to finance them to get into that area, like some investor, somebody on the side. And when you're thinking about how that shapes you as a person, I think we're talking about two completely different things. They're just not on the same wavelength. Because she would get from a zero to 100 all on her own, while these men always had somebody who would like be a connection, push them in the right direction. So she was always the stronger sex. And speaking about stronger sex, this is the point where Xenia was when she met Philip Kapisoda. Philip came from Montenegro. He was born in Cetinje in Montenegro in ex-Yugoslavia. And he was also the brother of a handball player, Petar Kapisoda. And the vibe that I got from Philip is that just like so many people who are like the brother of a famous person, the husband of a famous person, the ex-husband, like they're always in the shadows. They're kind of always overshadowed by their bigger brother. And then when they don't want to pursue the career in the exact same range, so like when he didn't want to pursue a career in handball and actually went into modeling, well, then he had to fight and fend for himself. So in 2008, Xenia is having a performance in Cetinje in Montenegro. And he was a model because, of course, she would have dancers, she would have models. Her songs were quite provocative in nature. So the more attention she would get to the stage on herself and others, the better. And this is how the two of them met. And she kind of noticed like this young guy checking her out because Philip was actually 10 years younger than Xenia. And she kind of just turned around and asked somebody like, oh, is he one of the dancers? And somebody told her, no, one of the models. And she kind of didn't really notice him later on, but it seemed like he approached her and actually asked her out. Everybody in their presence, all of their friends, literally every single person that they have interviewed for the media during their relationship and after it said that it was toxic. It was constantly on and off that she kind of confused his jealousy for love. And she would publicly in interviews say that nobody ever loved her the way that Philip did. People said that the two of them felt the need to constantly be together. And when that was not the case, there would be just immediate tension, immediate arguments, immediate just jealousy attacks, like, where did you go? Who were you with? Why were you with them? Why wasn't I invited? Which, of course, led to them breaking up and getting back together constantly. Their friends would sometimes even in public witness them tell to each other, I want you to only have the eyes for me. I want you to only look at me. And if anything else was to happen, then the arguments would begin. 
And really, their relationship can be divided into two parts or two phases, whichever way you want to think about it. So during the first phase, you could kind of notice Xenia in the interview saying, you know, he's the love of my life, all of that, that she is for the first time in a situation where she doesn't even have to explain herself, like they kind of immediately make eye contact and he understands what she's thinking. He doesn't judge her for anything. She would mention how in the Balkans, people usually can't really deal with strong women, but that is not the case with Philip. That he is very much used to her celebrity status, so he is very much used to the paparazzi, the life that comes with dating her. As she would be saying this to the public, during this first phase, her best friend was also on the receiving end of this jealousy and possessiveness. Xenia didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Like, I don't think she ever thought that it will end this way. She just thought, okay, he's jealous, he will deal with it. I don't think she ever understood to which extent this actually went. Because on this occasion, she was about to perform in Germany, and she just dumped his ass like two weeks before she went. And then, as she went to Germany, Philip started harassing her best friend. He said Philip would call him 20 times a day, that he would beg him to find her because she is not responding to any of his calls because she broke off with you. He begged him to make her take him back again once she's back. And this is the first time that Philip would start saying that he will end up killing himself if Xenia doesn't take him back. But once Xenia came back from Germany, they reconciled again. Again, the police would get called to the location, to her flat. Then she would, of course, immediately reach out to her best friend, who would always rush to the scene, where then he would usually see Philip outside because she would kick him out on like multiple occasions. And he'd be like outside of this building crying, saying that he's going to kill himself. And the police is there. And then this best friend is trying to like be the intermediary in this situation. And he would say later he would feel guilty because on so many occasions he would go to Xenia and be like, I mean, he clearly loves you this much. And then later he ended up regretting it because nobody was able to predict where this will lead to. And the second phase of this relationship was what I will call the last breakup. In February 2009, they broke up. Like they said, it's one final time. And it seemed like on this occasion, Philip was actually going to move on. Because in March, he accepted to be part of the big brother. So finally, it just seemed like, okay, cool, he's moving on. Everything is going to be fine. And while he is trying to move on and see if he can stop being a possessive fuck, Xenia is finally herself again. Just like every person who broke out of an abusive relationship, she is finally popping off again. She's focusing on herself, on her career, doing her best to appear in the public eye as and where she wanted this time. And everybody noticed like all of the personality traits that the public loved her so much for were all back. And of course, as she's making these appearances, everybody's asking her, oh, but you know how you were just in a relationship? Like, what's going on there? He's in Big Brother now. Are you supporting that? Are the two of you going to get back together as soon as he's out? Does it depend on anything he does in the house? And Xenia said, yeah, we were together, but right now he's just an ex. She would publicly say that he lost any further chance of reconciliation the day that he went inside the Big Brother house. That he is not 
intelligent, but that he is also not really as dumb as other people want to believe it. And that he is just a little baby. He's like 10 years younger than her. He still needs to experience life. And of course, she's saying all of this as he's inside the Big Brother house. So he gets out of the house and literally everybody's like, uh, your ex was kind of shitting all over you on TV as you were inside. Like, maybe that's why you didn't really win this. <laughs> maybe there is a slight correlation because she was literally shitting on your parade while you were in there. Like, this guy literally went inside that house just probably thinking, okay, he's gonna give her a break and then as soon as he's out, it's going to be the smoothest relationship ever. But now when he did get out and he heard this, well, he had to end it. because It's, it's, it's been ended. It, it has ended a couple of, like, months ago. But no, he has to, because he's a man, he has to be the one to break up with you. <laughs> It's like when an employer fires you and then you're like, no, actually, I quit. I quit. And you're like, okay, the sequence of events, though, is that you quit after we fired you. So our firing came first. No, you can't comprehend that? Great. Sure, tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself to sleep at night. So he gave an interview saying that this story with Xenia Pajin is definitely over. He doesn't really want to make more comments upon her statements because he's a gentleman. He said everything bad that she said will be on her. He doesn't want to actually reciprocate. He doesn't want to offer her any bad words. He's, he's, he's a gentleman, guys. That is beneath him. He doesn't want to do her dirty as she did. But just like every other time the two of them got back together, there was another singer that was doing like a promotional party for her CD. And at this party, again, Xenia appeared with her friends, Philip appeared with his. And everybody said like the sparks were flying, the two of them just couldn't keep eyes off each other, which meant again that they ignored everybody else that they came there with. And this was truly the point of no return. 47 days before the murder, the two of them were involved in a traffic accident. Philip was driving both of them in this rural area towards this weekender house, this holiday house, the secondary one that they had in this area. And because it was still slippery, it was beginning of 2010, well, the car just kind of swerved off the road and hit this power generator. But by the looks of the car, you would have thought that two of them would have come out with like really severe injuries. It just didn't really look like he tried to hit the brake. But apparently the police didn't investigate this further. The two of them just had like a couple of stitches and had to stay in bed for a couple of days just for the doctors to assess if they have any concussions or anything like that. And according to the interview that they have immediately done with Xenia, she said that Philip was driving the normal speed, that that road was awful, that it's clear that, you know, they just kind of swerved off the road because of the ice and that they hit this power station. But because of the state of the car, because this never happened before, and because he didn't have any alcohol in his blood, a lot of people speculated, what if this was the first murder-suicide attempt? Life continues as normal here. 
He is not charged for this, and the two of them are just in Ksenia's flat in Belgrade. But a couple of days before her death, it kind of seemed like the two of them might have broken up again. It was constantly just on and off, and police was called to the house several nights before the death because the neighbors would report the two of them because they would constantly go at it, just like that day. And it seemed like Philip might have broken into her apartment, knocking down the door. Just a few days before her death, Xenia made her last public appearance in this TV show. And during this interview, it was kind of obvious to everybody that she has some bruises on her arms. And a lot of you might look at this and be like, well, this doesn't look like you know, it's too much, like somebody could have bruised themselves this way. But to me, when you look at this picture, it looks like, you know, when you grab somebody by both of your arms to like both of theirs and you squeeze as hard as possible. That's what these bruises look like to me. So I would definitely not discard that this guy escalated to physical abuse as well. And during this interview, Xenia actually said how she managed to change Philip. That was truly one of her biggest flaws, the fact that she thought she could change a guy for the better. If you are in that type of relationship, get the the hell out, please, before it escalates. She would talk about how Philip listened to his friends before, but now she managed to change him and change his environment. And that public appearance would be the last time that everybody, apart from Philip, would see Xenia alive. As for the aftermath of the crime, Xenia was buried in this white coffin in one of her favorite outfits, jeans, shirt, and her favorite jewelry. And her grandma Mara said that she had a funeral deserving of a queen because she was one. Some of her friends who were in the music industry made tributes in form of songs for her and they tried to keep her legacy alive. Meanwhile, the media was keeping her legacy alive in different ways, all of them negative, because the media really started driving the narrative of how she was responsible for her own death, of how she made him this way. She turned this passionate man into this maniac, and she is therefore responsible for how he acted. Had she not made comments in the public, he would not have snapped. Had she not broken off with him and made him jealous, he would not have snapped. They would call this event a tragedy, say that he was romantic. How everybody could predict it because it just seemed like it was no longer the same. The shame for this, of course, falling onto Xenia. And these kind of media reports didn't do any justice to her family, but also they kind of fueled a lot of people to get angry in the wrong ways. Like her grave was desecrated twice. Once, like they removed her picture, like the image of her grave. And then another time they kind of tried going at it with a hammer. And there was like this proper engraving that her family made. And just the media didn't do it any justice with this from passion to death narrative. Because some people will see it that way. If they are reading these tabloids and believing everything that they say, being brainwashed by them every single day, 
they might take a hammer and go at somebody's grave because they don't see it as desecrating an innocent victim's grave. They see them being enraged by somebody who provoked a killer to kill them. The other narrative the media was driving at, if you by any chance don't want to see the victim as the perpetrator of their own crime, well, that was the curse of Xenia, because they somehow dug up that her first husband actually killed himself during the game of Russian roulette. And this is the epitome of the newsrooms back home, because she actually dated this guy and was kind of briefly married as they were going through like high school on to college years. So literally in like 1993, somebody was bored as fuck in this newsroom. They were like, you know what? I'm going to dig up something on her. Which part of her life did we not dissect in any way, shape or form? I know her high school life. Yeah, let's find this. Ooh, this guy died during a Russian roulette game that had nothing to do with her. She's cursed. She's cursed, clearly. And then the final spin by the media was that, again, she is responsible because she had different priorities to him. She wanted career, she wanted fame, and he just wanted to be a family man. None of the two people are alive to corroborate this, but sure. And in a small country in the Balkans where patriarchy still rules, this argument really works. It really drives home because women's priorities should be home and family and just waiting for her kids to come from school. It shouldn't be career. It shouldn't be for her to like dance in like short skirts and be a backup dancer. No. What they're going to live off? What are they going to live off? Yeah, answer me that. Who is going to make money in this family? And even after their deaths, friends would try to drive the point across how Philip wouldn't hurt a fly. He was this nice, friendly person, like really calm, patient, whereas Xenia was this dynamic, aggressive girl. What no media articles focused on were the femicide rates, were the rates of the women dying in the hands of the aggressors. Why couldn't she actually go to report something like this? The focus was never on that. What resources would she have at her disposal? Had she reported any physical, emotional abuse? Why wasn't anything done by the police who was at that location multiple times? None of this was mentioned in the media, so somebody is going to talk about it. According to the last study that I found from 2015, 37.5% of women in Serbia had experienced family violence in the recent past, and 54% experienced family violence in their lifetime. The most common being psychological at 48.7%, followed by physical at 21%. When thinking about why women wouldn't report, we need to kind of briefly focus on the tolerance of violence that might or might not be due to the recent war in the country. Like the last one happened in 1999. Both of them kind of lived through that. But again, Philip didn't serve in the war in any way. But there is that idea that he might have felt like so many men that, well, he does need to protect a woman. He needs to be a protector. 
This was due to the post-TV news syndrome that was coined by Belgrade's feminist that referred to spreading hatred among people of different nationalities, different ethnic origins that happened during the war, and that that increased the acts of domestic violence. And then there is also that like psychological point like we spoke about with the Bobodol theory, like when you see the scenes of violence, you know, today, let's say when you play a game or here even more real because you know that the scenes you're seeing on television are actually true events where your people, people of your country are fighting the other. And then does that result in you showing domestic violence towards the people in your surroundings. Because again, that's easier. You can't be the one fighting the enemy in the war, so you are taking it out on the people close to you. In many cases in Serbia, women would not report because they are economically dependent on their partner, because they might think the friends, their family will not side with them. But here, of course, with Ksenia, this wouldn't have been the case. But what any woman, regardless of her status, should have benefited from if ever to be in any of these situations is more cities offering the services or free legal assistance, which they're not. The emergency hotlines not shutting down, which they did. Four SOS hotlines provided to women to anonymously call were shut down in 2011. Not to even mention that Serbia doesn't have the common tricks like where you can block your number when you call any of these emergency numbers or like here in the UK where you can text 999. If you haven't registered for that, please stop this podcast, pause it right now and just send the word register to 999 so that you can text the emergency services if you can't talk in a case of an emergency. Another reason why they might never report it, well, according to a report from 2014 on gender-based violence in Europe, there were only 14 women's shelters in Serbia with a minimum of 162 shelter places. But another problem with this is that they're dispersed. They're like in Belgrade, in Novi Sad, in like bigger cities, which means like if you are are in a smaller city or, God forbid, in a rural area, you need transportation to get to this shelter in the first place. And then you have maybe to claim one of only 162 places. Serbia has over 3.5 million women living there. And we are saying that 162 places is enough. Also, not to mention, once you were actually to possibly report something like this, you would face some lengthy admin procedures, a lack of funds in the budgets of the local governments, which all causes this huge discrepancy between the cases that get reported and the ones that actually ever reach the trial and reach any form of prosecution. According to, again, the stats that I could find from 2012, they were in only one city in Kraljevo, 288 cases of domestic violence that were reported, and only 23 of those resulted in prosecution. Only 23 of those reached the court. So it's just around, what, 10 to 15% of cases that might actually reach the court, if we are to believe these stats. 
And an even more scarier stat comes from the Associated Press study from 2013. And this is that only 2% of more than 8,000 complaints of domestic violence from 2010 resulted in any form of measures to protect the victim. Whether that was shelter, whether that was getting them out of the situation, or whether that was prosecution. Which, as I'm telling you, almost never happens. Serbia also lacks official data when it comes to femicide stats. The study I have found was from 2015, and that one stated that Serbia reached over 330 femicides in the past 10 years. So when talking about motives, femicide is actually by definition the murder of women by men motivated by hatred, contempt, pleasure, or a sense of ownership of women. And based on Xenia's age, Mostly, people within that age range are killed because of either jealousy or incapability to accept the end of the relationship or further quarrels and conflicts surrounding the case. Other two motives are usually mental health, whether it is victims or perpetrators. And I think in Xenia's case, this was spot on. It started off with jealousy, then the incapability to accept that the relationship has ended and that the girl has actually left you and moved on, and then the quarrels, the constant toxicity, the constant on and off form of that relationship, the quarrels, the arguments that proceeded. Xenia was never scared to stand up for her opinions. As she stated in the lyrics of her own songs, she was a new woman, contemporary, independent lady. She committed through her career and her personal life to resist the male domination that is highly prevalent in Serbia. As such, she was the target of the patriarchal men. People back home will recall, even years later, when a famous water polo player, Dacej Kodinovic, got into a traffic accident, the public blamed it on the argument that he had with his wife, another famous singer, Natasha Bekvalec. In these environments, women's talent gets negated, and the femicide becomes her fault. The conversation after her death became about how she must have done something to provoke him, rather than this is the fault of a murderer. Xenia was a symbol of patriarchy resistance, and she died by its hand. She was killed twice, first time directly in the hands of a man, and second time she died in hands of the media, who decided to diminish her worth by justifying the reasons behind her death themselves. Just like the symbolic tattoo of a phoenix she identified with, the powerful woman standing up for herself against all odds can never truly die. Keep making the world a better place, one motive at a time, and I will see you all on Friday. Kako je bez tebe, prazan ovaj kraj.